Hello and welcome to the first episode of the This Is Modern Rock podcast. The podcast where we go over the Billboard Modern Rock charts from the very beginning, month by month, and we'll be looking at four songs each month. So I'm joined here in the studio today with Orly. Hello, and I bring my baby with me everywhere I go, so you might hear some baby sounds here and there. No problem. Um... So, like I said, this is uh, a podcast about the Billboard Modern Rock Charts, which started in September of 1988. Why do you think that they decided at that point that modern rock was a thing? So, uh, in the United States, up to that point, we had like the mainstream rock charts, and these would be like hair metal bands, these would be holdovers from the classic rock era, things like that. Um, And there was a lot of really good rock music that was being made, um, that was being played on college charts, or it was stuff that was coming from the punk and new wave scene, a lot of British music. And it just wasn't selling enough and getting enough radio play to really make an impact on mainstream rock charts. Um, So there was a rock chart already. Yes, there was a rock tracks. Rock tracks, but this is coming fresh and hot with modern rock. Yeah, and actually, you know what? I can look at... Oh, okay. So... Um, album rock. It appears to be the album rock tracks. So um, September 10th, 1988, the album rock tracks were being dominated by the song Hate to Lose Your Lovin' by Little Feet. What? Yeah, I, I know. I don't know what that is either. I mean, I've heard of Little Feet. I don't know that song. Am I the only one or everyone does this that actually pictures tiny little feet when you <laughs> well, say that? It, it is F-E-A-T. <laughs> I know. But of course I, it I, is. I think we do all picture tiny feet. <laughs> okay. Um, but also Steve Winwood, Van Halen, um, Def Leppard, Cheap Trick. Okay, so it was old guy rock. Yeah, and, and when rock was making it onto the Hot 100, which is, is like the, the big charts, right. like the top 40 charts, um, it tended to be those kind of bands as well. And in fact, um, when September starts, September 1988 starts, the number one song on the Hot 100 is Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. It's just a good song. It is just a good song, but it's you know not alternative rock. Right. It's not going to be on, on the modern rock tracks. Okay, so in 1988, they felt like we need something new. We want this other type of music to have a voice on billboard yeah because this music was getting radio play especially in um college towns college radio stations it was having sales you know enough sales to warrant attention but that being said september 1980 is is kind of a weird place for music i think overall music is not that good even in the alternative world, of course, there's there's really great artists and bands and songs. We're going to hear some fantastic songs. Um, but a lot of what we're going to hear is bands that are kind of past their prime. They're bands that sparked up in that, that new wave punk movement in the late 70s, early 80s. And by 1988, um, you know, they've done their thing and they're kind of running out of steam. Or they've broken up and, and we're going to see um, kind of solo projects from some of those okay. people. Um, and it, it does kind of feel like we're waiting for that next big thing to hit. Okay. So modern rock is coming in in the tail end of a sound and bringing with it something new. We're going to go ahead and, and talk about our first so- first song. We're going to talk about four songs overall, like I said. And when the Billboard Modern Rock charts began, September 10th, 1988, the first song to hit number one on the charts was a song by Susie and the Banshees. Weird. Yeah, weird. Do, um, do you know anything about Susie and the Banshees? 
I mean, I know that they, you know, they kind of rode that British punk wave too, although they were, I mean, I don't know a ton about them seeming to be more goth. Yeah, I've heard a, um, a few songs, maybe three or four of their songs. Um, Susie really seemed to be one of only a few females. Yeah, in, she kind of seemed the, like one of the guys like to me. Like the British punk movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a few clips where she's like hanging out with the Sex Pistols um, during an interview. Yeah, I feel like Susie is like the bridge between Sex Pistols and The Cure. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, so... Uh, like I said, I've heard some of the some of their songs. Uh, I'm familiar with, I think their first single, Hong Kong Garden. I've heard some of their covers, like Dear Prudence. But prior to doing research for this project, I'd never heard their number one hit from 1988, which is a song called Peekaboo, which I was first introduced to via Beavis and Butthead, which is probably how I'll know a lot of these songs. I'll go, like, oh yeah, Beavis and Butthead watched that. They made fun of this song. And, and you're not alone because when I was doing research, I did find some blogs where people <laughs> mentioned this song. And the first thing they said was, I know this song from Beavis and Butthead. Peekaboo! Yeah, exactly, yes. So, incredibly... I did the Beavis arms that no one can see, but they were part of that impression. <laughs> I, I saw it and I loved it. Um, so, a few things about this song. First of all, this is from Susie and the Banshees, I believe, 10th album called wow. Peep Show. Yeah, that is I pretty incredible. I had no idea. Um, so they were just busting albums out, I guess, every every year since they started, right? They formed around 1976. Wow, I don't picture them as being that old. Yeah. Huh. So 10 albums into their career. Um, did they have any other hits in the U.S. prior to this? I really don't know. They didn't have any modern rock hits prior to this it. because the charts didn't exist. But they kicked it off, number one hit. Um couple things about the song this song samples themselves which is i think unusual so susie and the banshee banshees had covered a john cale song called gun which i'm not familiar with nor am i and they took their cover and for whatever reason they were listening to it backwards and they thought it sounded really cool so, everything backwards is cooler just talk to Chris Cross. <laughs> That's correct. And, and 1988 <laughs> is getting close to the right era I for know. that, right? Um, Why are we not doing that? Yeah. Um, I should I should flip this podcast around when we're done. I'll have two podcasts <laughs> for the price of one. So uh, they took the song Gun, flipped it around backwards, liked the way it sounded, put it together, and uh, what they ended up with was Peekaboo. Now... If you listen carefully, some of the lyrics may sound familiar to you. Susie says something like, Jeepers Creepers, where'd you get those Golly peepers? Jeepers, where'd you get those peepers? Right, right. So um, I, I have no idea why I know that song, but apparently a lot of people too, know that yeah. song. That, uh, what Orly was singing is a 1938 jazz standard called Jeepers Creepers. Um, so Susie and the Banshees had to give songwriting credit to Harry Warren and Johnny Mercer, who wrote that song. Um, did you ever see that movie Jeepers Creepers? I did not see. It's awful. But <laughs> oh, they... oh, you're talking about the horror movie. Yeah, the horror movie Jeepers Creepers, where like it was like a truck. Oh my gosh, this is not this is not good. 
radio talking about this movie because it's awful but i feel like they kept playing that song over and over the, the original yeah jazz version like it was supposed to create like we knew there was a murder coming when... okay so, so like <laughs> every time the killer's on his way it's like cheapers creepers <laughs> where'd you get those eyes i think so i could be making that up i could have a false memory i think we I need think. to go watch that movie right now uh we're gonna, we're gonna put this podcast on hold while we go watch <laughs> jeepers creepers, creepers. That is a turd. <laughs> you know, I, I actually was going to bring up the movie Jeepers Creepers as well, but I was going to bring up a different Jeepers Creepers. Oh. So um, the song was originally from a movie called Going Places with Ronald Reagan. Uh, it was a horse movie in which the horse, Jeepers Creepers, Jeepers Creepers <laughs> the horse, uh, it wouldn't let anyone ride him unless the horse's trainer, played by Louis Armstrong, sang or played the song Jeepers Creepers <laughs> on, the, on the trumpet. I mean, I know they give like racehorses crazy names, but was he a racehorse? I, I would assume he was a racehorse. Okay, horse. okay. Because I was no. thinking like a carriage horse and you're like, I'm sorry, sir, you can't go anywhere. <laughs> Jeepers Creepers won't go. In I, need, I need to get somewhere. <laughs> I paid for this cab. <laughs> Golly, Jeepers. He's like, okay, clunk, yeah. clunk, clunk, clunk. Um, yeah, so um, songwriting credits all over the place, right? Uh, so we're going to hear a clip of this song. And uh, then we'll talk a little bit about it, say what we thought. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I mean that was totally enjoyable. I think it's crazy that it was it was number one. Number one. Number one. Good for Susie. I, I and totally the Banshees. Agree. Yeah. Um, I I really that song's weird and awesome. Not only do I feel the exact same way, I thought it was weird and awesome. Um, I'm really happy about it because it's it's like a band where I was kind of like ho hum about like Susie and the Banshees. Yeah, they'd probably be okay. Like maybe not my thing. And I hear the song and go like, yeah, that makes me want to listen to more Susie and the Banshees. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the reason why I got the one CD I have is because that song was on it. Really? Yeah. So Beavis and Butthead got you to buy. They did. Beavis and Butthead opened my eyes many times to music. Mm -hmm. I wished many, many times as I was watching Beavis and Butthead that there would be more music, less story, and that actual MTV would play the videos that Beavis and Butthead were watching. Like I wanted to watch Beavis and Butthead's MTV. Yeah, but Beavis and, but- Beavis and Butthead weren't around in 88, so they were, like, digging back into the vaults. Yeah, that's that fine, though. I was wondering why MTV wasn't ever playing, like, the slew of music that came before. Mm-hmm. Like, why did I They were I too need... busy playing Hunger Strike. I mean, not even. No. I, they were, I don't know. They were playing a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, okay. probably. Yeah. They were playing Heart Shaped Box. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a couple things about the song when I looked it up. Um one of the things you might notice is the vocals. They seem kind of like they're coming in from different places. Mm-hmm. Like every time there's a line, it's like peekaboo, peekaboo. Like I'm, I'm moving my head around. I have no idea if that's making it a does. Difference. I, it made a difference. Really? In... Um, so that's not what she was doing. She actually apparently Susie had different microphones and she would run around the room. No, I think I think every vocal line is rec- recorded separately. They just like got a new microphone, do one line, got a new microphone, do one line, kind of like that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, also, accordion solo. Uh huh. Yeah, it's a little in the background. I wish I kind of wish there was more accordion, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, 
yeah. Did you, I mean, could you tell that there was some backward sampling? Definitely. Yeah. In the beginning, yeah. Did, like, did, it's good. The backward stuff always sounds like it's being, like, sucked up. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, Did you yeah. catch uh, John Cale's gun? Did you recognize? I did not. No, I wouldn't. I did not. No, no idea what that song sounds uh-huh. like. I wouldn't know John Cale. Unless that was backwards and they were like, nug. <laughs> nug. <laughs> I, think, I think I heard a little nug. <laughs> nug. Yeah, that was good. Um, I'm just sad, kind of, for Susie and the Banshees, that if that, if you, I mean, you probably know what, if they came upon the charts again. You know, I think this was a fairly successful album for them. I'm pretty sure they had a chart run with another song, maybe from the same album. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think it's an amazing, it's a, it's, uh, it's a very high opener for me. So I feel like anyone that comes after that, that's big shoes to fill for me. That's right. Some big audio dynamite shoes oh to fill. i left you wet right open <laughs> for that segue you did. that was not intentional <laughs> um which brings us You're to welcome. our second song and the second song to hit number one on the billboard modern rock charts so, so i only know one big audio dynamite song. i think i think that's true of many people so there was actually a little a quick little back and forth here susan the banshees were number one for the first week big audio dynamite took over the spot for week two um and then Susan the Banshees were back on top with Peekaboo again what? September 24th. So uh, Big Audio just could not hold it together. That's crazy. Yeah. So Big Audio Dynamite, for those of you who are not familiar, this was a band that Mick Jones formed after he was kicked out of The Clash. I didn't know he was kicked out of The Clash. That's my understanding is that he was kicked Where out. Where is Todd? Uh, I know. We, we could get The, the Clash <laughs> expert in here. That would be good. But... I'm going to say, we'll just go with he was kicked okay. out of the clash in 1984. And he formed a band called Big Audio Dynamite. And according to probably Wikipedia, I think that's probably where I copied this down from. Uh, this group is noted for its effective mixture of varied musical styles, incorporating elements of punk rock, dance music, hip hop, reggae, and funk. Yeah, I always felt like Mick went more... Um, like big hip hop sort of sound, like arena style, and that um, Joe went more like reggae. Joe Strummer. Yeah, Joe yeah. Strummer. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. The, the Clash were really experimenting with a lot of different world styles themselves, especially toward the tail end of their career. Yeah. Um, I mean, didn't they put out a triple album or a quadruple album or something like that? They just couldn't contain all of their musical <laughs> styles. Um, but Big Audio Dynamite, even with those similarities, they do not sound at all like The Clash. They do to not. Me. Um, just the voice. Just the voice. Just the voice. So this song we're going to hear is from their third album called Tighten Up Volume 88. Even though it's their third album. It is. It's not their 88th volume. I think that has to do more with the year it was released. Got it. It's clever, okay, guys. Yeah, that Good makes job, sense. Guys. Um, and another thing, uh, Big Audio Dynamite later on would break up and they would reform as Big Audio Dynamite two <laughs> so some of you may be familiar with that and you're like i thought they were called big audio dynamite two what's going on you're leaving off there too no one but thought that's that. actually <laughs> it's actually a different <laughs> band altogether with some of the same guys uh another thing the song uh starts and ends the song by sampling a little clip from a 1967 british film called privilege and i just thought that was interesting to point out because the first two number one hits are both sampling. This is something, uh, I don't know, new and exciting in 1988, I mm-hmm. guess. Or at least new and exciting in the rock world. In maybe. the rock world, I would say. Mm-hmm. The hip-hop world had been doing it for a while. Mm-hmm. 
I guess I should mention what the song is called. It's called Just Play Music. All right. Just he's telling you what to do. Yeah, stop talking about the song. Just play it. Yeah, let's hear it. Here we go. Just Play Music. Big Audio Dynamite. I mean, it's weird to me that a song like this can make it so high on the charts, but I know I could say that about a lot of songs. So, well, so you're not you're not loving this one. I just don't feel like I can't tell where the hook is. I mean, I'm totally in agreement. I'm I've listened to this song probably seven eight times now. Um, I'm trying to like it. I really don't like it that much. It's not that I hate it. It's not that I dislike it necessarily, but yeah. it's just like, nah. You know what? If I was at a party and it was on in the background, I would be totally fine with it. But when someone's like, sit down and listen to this. Yeah. I'm like, um. Yeah. So so what's going on here? Why is this number one? Is my it, facial expressions do not carry across really over That's something radio. we need to work on. We Yeah. yeah. I'm really facey. You know, sometimes they say if you um, actually smile when you talk on the phone, people will know that you're smiling. Yeah. It comes across in your voice. So maybe. They could tell I made like a weird like with my eyes. They might be able to tell that. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I'm wondering. Um, did Mick Jones just have enough like star power in the alternative world that whatever he puts out at this point in 1988 is going to be a hit? I mean, is that why this is number one? Just because he's Mick Jones? I mean, it could, it could be that it could be right place. Like he released it at a time where there wasn't a ton of competition, although he did knock Susie off and then she came back. So people were like, Oh, something new. Uh, we're going to go back to this. Right. You mentioned right place, you know, right time. Yeah. It's, that's an interesting thing because if you look at the charts um, in September 1988, the modern rock charts, and you look at the top five songs, well, we already saw Susie and the Banshees, and we've seen this one, Just Play Music, which has kind of a world music vibe to it. Yeah. Um, but there's two other songs in the top five uh, that have kind of a world music vibe or like you know, at least like a reggae vibe to them. Okay. So just down the charts at number three, We've got a UB40 song, and it, it's not one that I'm familiar with. So the song is called Breakfast in Bed by UB40 and Chrissy Hine. But I think without hearing that, we could kind of guess, based on what we know about UB40, that it's probably got kind of a you know white boy reggae vibe uh-huh. to it. Um, and then just below that, at number five on the charts, we've got the song Tumbling Down by Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers. So I don't... I'm not familiar with that song either, but it's Ziggy Marley. I think we can make some assumptions. Sure. So um, was there kind of like a mini world music and reggae explosion? Like in Seems that way that I didn't know about, on? but why would I? Because yeah. I was eight. Short, short-lived. This was like one month where people were like, yeah, reggae is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. That was the one month people thought reggae was cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, my apologies to half the people I went to college with. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on. We've got two more songs because those were the only Those ones. two were the only songs to hit number 1 on the Ow. Modern Rock Charts in September of 1988. So we have to kind of dig a little bit deeper. So it here. also sounds to me that the UK was a little bit stronger in their modern rock. You know, it 
I'm glad you mentioned that because if you look at the charts, uh, at least in the first few months, maybe first few years, the modern rock charts seem to be really dominated by UK bands yeah. and even like Australian bands. Hmm. And there's a few American bands that are making it on those charts. And we're definitely going to hear some of those. But, you know, big bands like R.E.M., stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the British Commonwealth. But it it, it does seem like the British Commonwealth. Um <laughs> It's like the place for them is the modern rock yeah. charts and and Americans. I don't know. They were all they were all wearing spandex. They and, were spandexed mm, out for sure. And, you know, wailing with their guitar solos or something. So, um, so we're gonna dig a little bit deeper, not too deep into the charts. Okay. Um, and we're gonna look at a song that was kind of hanging around the number two, number three spot for um some September. Okay. And the song is called Crash by a band called The Primitives. I don't know that song. I think you might know this song. Oh. So first of all, I want to I want to make sure we know we're not talking about um, the primitives, the '60s garage rock band that I think is featured on the Nuggets compilation. I was not thinking of that either. Okay. Well, somebody was. Sure. This is uh, the song "Crash" is off of their first album, their first real, um, you know, actual album called "Lovely," which was released in 1988. And fun fact about this one, they were apparently briefly Morrissey's favorite band and you can find a number of photographs of him wearing um, a t-shirt of one of their singles called Stop Killing Me. Anyway I said you probably know the song even though you think you didn't and that's because um, the song Crash was kind of brought back re-released to the world in a sense. By Dave Matthews band? (laughs) (laughs) Yes yes it was. No. Um, the song was brought back into popular consciousness in 1995 because it was featured in the hit movie soundtrack for Dumb and Dumber. Oh. So I, I actually don't think I saw Dumb and Dumber when it came out, but I heard this song. So I'm thinking it must have been played in the previews and the Weird. trailers. Um, I haven't tried to confirm that. I just didn't take the time. I definitely saw Dumb and Dumber. Okay. So you've heard the song. I guess. But here's the thing. I thought that I didn't really like this song. And then the ninth listen? No, no. So I thought I didn't like the song. I thought it was catchy, but kind of overdone, a little over the top, a little cheesy. Um, and then I, I listened to the track um, as research for this podcast. I said, wait a minute. I do like this song. Something's weird. Something weird's going on. Well, let me hear it. Okay, well, we'll, we'll hear it. We'll listen to the song, and then we'll talk about that a little more. Because I'm intrigued. Here we go. This is Crash by the Primitives. I do know this song. I knew it right away. Yeah. I got to say, I don't feel like the name of this band, is it The Primitives or just Primitives? I think it's The Primitives. I just don't feel like it matches their sound. They don't sound primitive to you? No. They sound more like Sixpence, None the Richer. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what? That that band's name matches their sound. Sixpence, None the You're right. Sixpence, <laughs> None the Richer sounds like this band kind of. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which kind of makes sense because one of their two hits was a cover of The Laws. Right? Oh, right. There she goes. And I would say The Laws sound very similar to this. They do. But yeah, Primitives is not the right title for this Yeah, What do you think they should be called? 
Um, I want I want something more Britishy. What sounds super super British? Um, bangers and mesh. <laughs> <laughs> this band should be called Bangers and Mesh. It's not. That's not good at all. No, that's horrible. Yeah. So. Let's go back to why I didn't think I liked this song. Because listening to this again now, hearing that song, yeah. I go, I really like that song. Yeah. Um, it feels it feels scrappy to me. It feels like this this little band that could. They're like, we're this indie band that no one's heard of and no one cares about, but we come up with a super catchy song that's just like so winning right. and fun that you like can't deny it. You like it gets into your head immediately. You're like, Yeah. Yeah. So here's why I didn't think I liked it. Um, apparently when they use the song for Dumb and Dumber, mm-hmm. Um, some studio wizards took the song. They spiced it up considerably. They added about 45 seconds to it. They added background vocals. They added new guitar parts. They oh. like added this amazing solo. I actually kind of like the solo they uh-huh. added. Um, but this was all done without the band. Okay. So After Effects. Yeah. It was like, you know, the primitives had nothing to do with this. They just like somehow bought the rights to it. They're like, okay, we're going to add all this crap to it and we're going to make it more palatable to a 1995 audience. Did, did they really think like this is a catchy song, but this won't go over with dumb and dumber viewers? Yeah. Right? That's a modern rock hit. We need a Billboard Hot 100 hit. I like guess. That. That's what bring in Smash Mouth. Yeah, that's, my, that's, <laughs> that's what all those studio guys sound like. Oh, I sound like this. We need a hit. We've spiced it. I keep saying spiced it up, but I don't think that's like the term they're using. We're going to punch it up. What's We're going to punch it up for your drive time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was a primitive. Is there anything else we want to say about the primitives? I, I would assume based on nothing at all that that was their one hit. They never had another one. They disappeared into obscurity. Their name should be scones and jellies. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the baking terms from that show. Like a, something a jellies super a food or Britishy. They call Jello jellies. Yeah, but in Train Spotting, they call like prescription drugs jellies. Mm, that's just confusing. <laughs> now, I'd like some jellies, please. <laughs> they should be called the jellies. Yes, I'm fine with okay. that. I like that. The jellies. They're definitely sure. the jellies, not yeah. the primitives. Yeah. All right, so that's three bands. We're going to move on to our fourth and final song of the evening. Okay. Um, and this one I have to dig real deep into the charts. I'm actually going all the way down to number eight. Why is that, you ask? Well, there's a few reasons. First of all, I listened to a bunch of the other songs, and I just did not think that they were very interesting. I mean... Tell me some of the other things you glossed over. Well, actually, there's a few that are going to climb up the charts higher, so we're going to talk about them later. Oh, so this was back in the day where songs climbed up charts. Yeah, they didn't just start at the top and fall. Immediately, they, okay. Yes. All right. Yes, they they actually started at the bottom. They climbed, They worked their way up. Oh, my gosh. Hardworking and, songs. Yeah, exactly. So we're going we're gonna to see some of those later. Um, some of them were just bands that, I don't know, I just, I mean, come on. It's fine. Shriekback. I don't know what that is. Like, why is that a 1988 band, Shriekback? That's, that sounds a, like, that's, a, that's an emo. I, really? I thought it was like a new metal band. Oh, I picture them emo? being on the no, cover. No, I think you're right. They're on like like alternative, alternative press. press exactly. Shriekback are totally on they the They all have like black spiky. Yes. Black. Yes, they do. They've got um, Flat iron bangs. guy liner. Yeah, lots right? of guy liner. Yeah. They're um, wearing tight girl jeans. So, uh, no, there, there's a band that, that managed to climb to the number eight spot, a band that I absolutely love. Um, that band is called the house of love and I think you love the I house do of love. I do I love I love the house of love I really do and I also like to kind of spotlight this band because I think it's a band that not very many people are familiar with and I think more people should be familiar with them 
I just started feeling really bad for a shriek. I, I know that's the thing. That's the thing about. See, you don't think about this as a person out there who's not making a podcast, just out in the world. You get to talk shit all you want. You get to say this band sucks, that band sucks. But once you're in front of the mic and you're saying, you know, hi, this is me, and here's my name, and you start saying bad things about people and bad things about music, um, you know, you have to own that, and somebody could be listening, and they might start crying on their way yeah, to work. I am not owning it because I don't know anything about them. No, so it's like exactly. They could be solid, solid dudes and dudettes. And make good music. They might. Shriekback could, despite their name. Yeah. I mean, we listen to <laughs> Primitives despite their name. Yeah, Shriekback should be called uh, <laughs> Scones and Scrumpets. <laughs> Okay, so back to the House of Love. Okay. Um, House of Love, I think I think this band could have been really big. I think they were just too late in the game. So whereas a lot of these other bands, Susie and the Banshees on their 10th album, right? Um, big Audio Dynamite. I mean, Mick Jones has been around for right. ages and ages. He's a legend right? already. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of these other bands that were kind of um, post-punk, like let's say Echo and the Bunnymen, stuff like that. Um, that I think House of Love is kind of following in the footsteps of. Those bands have been around for a while. They're very well established. Some of them are even broken up at this point. And House of Love is just getting started. And in fact, this is the song we're going to hear, Christine. It's their third single. Uh, it's from their very first, their debut album. Yeah. Also called House of Love. So, and I'm just, we're going to play devil's advocate here. Sure. If they're coming out on the tail end of this sound, yeah. are they derivative? You know what? I I guess we could say yeah. I, I mean, that, that could be one of their problems. I think they also had kind of a, not to be rude, I think they had like a looks, like an image problem. Mm. You know, I, I think they were kind of lacking that pretty boy front man. That everybody needs. Um, their, sing- their, lead, their leader, their singer, Guy Chadwick, um, he was a little bit older than some of the other guys in new I bands. I don't think that and, matters. Okay, he looked he looked like a he looked like a boxer who had lost a few fights. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um yeah, they had a few things going against them. And I would say yeah, they might be considered derivative, but they're just really sharp songwriters. Their stuff just hits hard and strong and immediate for me. Right. Uh, I guess I never have a hard time with something that is classified or thought of as derivative. If they're doing a good job. Sure. Like if you have a list of things that you like and they're like checking off all the boxes and sometimes even exceeding your expectations or doing better than the original, which is hard to do, then all of a sudden I feel like it's kind of mind blowing. Like, hey, you did this thing that was already good and you, I don't know, you improved upon it, Mm -hmm. which is hard to do. Right. So I think House of Love had a lot of great songs. Um, Some people consider Christine to be their best. I, I think don't, it's one of my favorites. It's one of it's one of my favorites. I don't know if I would say it's it's their best, but it is one of my favorites. Um, I can definitely understand why it's not hitting the top of the charts. It's not a song for everyone. Uh huh. Um, but why don't we just hear it and yeah. we can talk about it afterwards? Okay. So here's Christine from the House of Love. Is it about the car? It is about the car, yes. It is? It's, it's a, it's, it, this was the soundtrack, the theme to the Stephen King film. Okay, you're joking. Christine. But did they really write this about, about the, the car? About the killer car. That movie was awful. 
Yeah, this song just sounds cool. Yeah. How do you feel about songs with people's names in it? Um, I'm pro that. You're pro that. I am. You know, I don't need songs to always be generic. And I feel like if there's someone's name, it, even if I don't know that person, or if that's not my name, I feel like, oh, it's about a real person. Therefore, these feelings are really strong and genuine. Yeah. And if it is... If, if you lucked out and it's your name. That's always like, great. Oh, boy. There's yeah. never going to be um, an Orly song. No. But yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, like you can throw it down at any time and be like, my song. Uh-huh. And when there's, like, when, there's a, when there's a dude in college that has a crush on you, he's got a track he can put on a mix to yeah, give you. For Although, sure. do do um do the kids these days, do they still give mixes? Is that a thing? I think some of them do. Yeah. Like a playlist yeah snapchat <laughs> playlist that way if it was a really embarrassing playlist it's gone yeah no i mean i think um the modern rock chart is really interesting especially when you we talked about some of the other things that were on it i don't know if i would necessarily classify ziggy marley as modern rock but they didn't know where to put him so right. they're like close enough right so i think we got some interesting um diversity on there and to see different little like music explosions that were happening that no other charts were picking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, looking through the rest of the charts, there's a few songs that I know, some of which we'll talk about later, but I just did want, I wanted a quick shout out. There was one song kind of down in the, in the charts that I heard. And I think I know the song and I think I kind of like it. Um, but why do I know this? It was an Australian band. They sounded kind of bar bandy and I looked it up and apparently it was in the soundtrack to the um, hit film Young Einstein with Yahoo Serious. <laughs> so I and I did see that as a kid. So I think I think probably me as an eight year old saw like that film stored in your brain. Yeah, I heard it like one one time I saw the movie and it kind of it was a good enough song to be locked yeah. in my brain so that I remembered it um, all of these many years later. Yeah. So um, let's see, wrapping things up. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I I do really want to say. Um, if you enjoyed any of these songs, I strongly encourage you to purchase them, either CD or MP3 or whatever whatever way people have a purchasing music. The other thing is if you have comments or corrections. Oh, don't, please. Don't, cor- don't, don't, no, don't correct us. I don't, I don't know. Should we? I don't know. Do I want corrections? I don't know. I mean, I, I want to know if Mick Jones was truly kicked out of the clash. So if you if you want to send us some kind of feedback, you can send an email to us at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. All one word. This is Modern Rock, the podcast. I'm Will Westerkow. I'm Orly.